Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, I want to take some time to speak to the pastors who may be listening into the podcast. You know, every so often we take some time just to give you some information, Pastor, that can help you and uh, perhaps make your, uh, your task as a minister a little bit easier. And that's really uh, one of the things about domestic abuse intervention and prevention is just learning just some of the key issues that help um, target your response, uh, help simplify your response, and then surround you with the right type of people that can help you. But before we jump into the content today, I want to make a couple announcements, a couple reminders. First of all is if you enjoy what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, would you consider becoming part of PeaceWorks University? PeaceWorks University is our online membership site for people helpers, and it has uh, hundreds of hours of material plus written material. It is one of the most robust collections of gospel-centered resources on domestic abuse that I know of, and you can find out more about that at chrismoles.org. Uh, look for the links to PeaceWorks University. It's a small monthly fee or a small annual fee. It gets you access to all of the material in PeaceWorks University. Second, I want to let you in on something that's happening pretty quickly. At the time of this recording, this this recording will be released August 18th, 2020. Um, But in September of 2020, uh, we'll be having our first event, our first conference here at PeaceWorks. It's going to be virtual, and that's going to take place September 25th and 26th. We would love for you, your church, your counseling team, um, members of your ministry team to participate with us. I think it's going to be a great event. It's going to take place, as I said, September 25th and 26th, uh, Friday night, Saturday morning. It's going to feature um, worship from uh, some church friends in Indiana, four plenary sessions with myself, and bonus sessions from Darby Strickland, Greg Wilson, and Joy Forrest. You can find out more about PeaceWorks Live, uh, our first virtual event, at chrismoles.org slash events, chrismoles.org slash events, and you can sign up uh, for our first conference. All right? I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to introduce you to that, uh, those opportunities and would love to see you, especially at the conference in September. All right, let's dive into our content for today. So today's content, we're talking about disclosure and reporting. And the reason why I bring this up is because I will get several questions from pastors who are trying to figure out, one, their responsibility, uh, not just to care for the souls of individuals uh, who call their church home, but their legal responsibilities, And then also what to do just in general when they receive a disclosure. 
So let's talk first about some of the reporting laws, mandated reporting, and uh, wisdom-based reporting that needs to take place for you as a pastor, and then we'll move on to talking about uh, disclosure and some of the ways that happens, and then some of the ways in which you can respond. So first of all, when it comes to reporting, the vast majority of us uh, pastors in the United States um, are not mandated reporters when it comes to domestic abuse. Now, I'll unpack that a little bit more, but I'll say it again. Most of us are not mandated reporters when it comes to domestic abuse. This is kind of a um, misconception among a lot a lot of folks within pastoral ministry. Uh, there is, uh, for many, a, an assumption that uh, when any time you hear of a disclosure of abuse, that the very first thing you're supposed to do is report that to law enforcement. However, uh, reporting can do a great deal of damage. It, it, it can put the victim at far more risk. And so uh, one of the things we would recommend is that you understand your local and state laws. Get in contact with uh, an attorney as you're building policies. Make sure that you interact with uh, local law enforcement and understand what you're required to do. Now, of course, we answer to a higher standard than state requirements, but uh, we also want to know who we're required to call. So let me give you the standard answer and then understand that every state is different. Okay, so it is important that you get to know your state and local laws. One good resource to help point you in the right direction is the work that uh, I was a contributor on uh, called Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. It was produced by Lifeway. That book is a free PDF at churchcares.com, uh, or you can order the book for just a couple dollars. And in the back, one of the appendices is um, local laws for each state. That can get you started and help you know where you need to look. Uh, but generally speaking, with the exception of a, a couple states, most clergy are mandated reporters when it comes to child abuse. If you understand or you are disclosed a, an incident of abuse on a minor, uh, you are required to make a report. The same is true for the elderly or those who are disabled. So consider agency uh, is a big word that you may want to consider. If the person disclosing or is being disclosed about does not have complete agency. They're under the, the, the authority of somebody else, right? So they're dependent upon someone else, parents to take care of them, uh, caregivers to care for them as an elderly person or a disabled person, then most cases you are required to report. Again, get to know your local laws, but that's a good general rule. When it comes to domestic abuse, it's quite different. With the exception of just a couple states, uh, most of us are not mandated reporters. And, and that's because unless we witness abuse, unless we witness a physical assault on someone, we could do a great deal more damage reporting. Now, certainly, Pastor, if someone assaults someone in your parking lot, a husband, say, assaults his wife or um an ex-husband attempts to kidnap his wife in your parking lot, you, you understand where I'm going with this. These gross criminal violations, public, the best means of intervention at that point is police intervention. Do what you can. Uh, maybe if you have a security team, have them well informed, but certainly we would call law enforcement. 
that is quite different though from a victim who discloses in the counseling room or the pastoral study that they've been living under the weight of abuse. That may not be the time to report. In fact, if the police find nothing or do not conduct a thorough investigation, then um, that could put her in more danger. If her only option is a civil order of protection, again, that's just a piece of paper that could also put her in more danger. So it is important uh, to honor victim requests in that type of setting. So I hope that's making sense. If you witness something violent um, and you're afraid for people's safety and it's in your presence, then absolutely police intervention may be the best choice. If it's being disclosed to you in a pastoral study or pastoral counseling environment, when it pertains to an adult who has agency, not a minor, not an elderly person, not a disabled person, then you may be best served to give options. And that's really what I want to talk to you about in the second half of our conversation today is what can I do in a moment of disclosure? What can I offer a victim who comes to me for help? Well, let's start with uh, just a general principle. What's the first thing you can offer someone who discloses abuse? Uh, in particular, when an adult discloses domestic abuse. I think the first thing we can offer them is respect. I bring that up because a lot of times, pastors, we are guilty of the opposite, right? We're, we're guilty of downplaying or trying to seek the other side of the story or doing an investigation. The things that pastors are accused of most is not believing the victim. And so I'm going to encourage you to respect the individual in front of you. Believe them. Now, when I say believe, I'm not talking about wholesale accepting everything that's being said, okay? Um, every story has inaccuracies. Every story has small discrepancies. What I am suggesting is that you listen with an understanding ear that says, I believe you've suffered. I believe you're being harmed, okay? This is not about an investigation. And I think that's the second piece of respect is, one, you're believing what you're hearing. You're not asking proof for proof. You're not doing an investigation. You're sitting in solidarity with this person. That's what respect is about. Three, you're assuring the victim, once you've heard their story, that their pain, their suffering, the harm being done to them is not their fault. And that's, that's a big distinction from owning what you are responsible for. You see, there will come a time in the victim's counseling and care, if they're pursuing healing, that they will own certain aspects of their own life, including their own sin. But at the moment of disclosure, we're removing them from responsibility for the abuse. I believe you. No, I don't believe. I don't necessarily have to wholesale accept every part of the story, but I believe what I'm hearing. I'm not asking for proof or doing an investigation. I'm assuring, number three, right, the victim, that it's not your fault. You're not responsible for the acts being perpetrated against you. And then I want to reassure that to the best of my ability, confidentiality will be maintained. But I want to explain what that means because in pastoral ministry, right, our level of confidentiality is different than, say, therapists or attorneys, right? 
we have a different level of confidentiality, what we might call biblical confidentiality. That to the best of my ability, I'm going to maintain proper boundaries. Now, if I assess that the individual is at risk of death or severe injury, I may have to report that. Uh, if there is financial harm that's affecting um, the individual, I may have to make some decisions on, on that front. But for the most part, I'm going to say, listen, you know, what, stays, what happens in the study stays in the study. What you say to me, I'm going to hold in confidence, but I want to resource you in that process. I want to give you the resources to make proper decisions, and I want to support you in those decisions. So the first thing we do in a disclosure is we respect. First question we ask, Pastor, is are there children involved? Like, I think that's one of the questions, practical questions we ask. Okay, are there children involved? If the answer is no, then we can move on. If the answer is yes, then I want to make sure that the children are safe to the best of my ability by just asking good questions. I want to emphasize that there are effects of witnessing domestic violence. I want to make sure that the individual knows, hey, this is a, an issue and we want to make sure that we're serving your family well. And then we need to, at that point, this is where confidentiality boundaries are somewhat fuzzy, I think if there are children involved, we need an extra set of eyes. I think we need to discuss with our church leadership what our reporting and safety procedures are. Uh, and again, knowing your state and local laws will help because you may be mandated to report if the children are witnessing domestic abuse. Most of us are not. Some of you may be. That's why it's important to have those discussions and then also know what your policies and procedures are. So the next question I want to ask myself is, is the victim in immediate danger? How do I know that? Well, first I want to ask her how she feels. Does she feel like she's in immediate danger? And then I want to also ask questions that are going to let me know whether or not um, he has weapons, if he's um, hurt her in the past, if he strangled her. As much as I can while maintaining a respectful demeanor and relationship, does the victim feel like she's in immediate danger? If she says no, then uh, I, I may want to remind her of some of the safety planning options that we have. I may want to connect her to folks, and I want to talk to her about escalation. If she says yes, then I want to talk through safety planning as well, right? So I still want to give her safety planning options. I want to let her know that, again, escalation occurs, and also that any intervention um by myself or any agency um, may escalate the event. It may put her in more danger. So it's important, again, that we talk about safety planning, that we connect her at all possible with a victim advocate at that point, and then um, consider some uh, timeframes at that point uh, as far as discussing with her about when are we going to meet again? Do you have someone else that you're meeting with? Uh, and just kind of getting a framework in place uh, where safety becomes a priority. So what if she's disclosed to us, we've respected her, we've determined that the children are not in immediate danger, she doesn't feel in immediate danger, there's really no more requests from her for resources, what do we do? That's when I think sometimes pastors, we start to flip out a little bit. Well, I've done my best, now what do I do? What do I do? 
she doesn't want any of the resources, do I go ahead? Do I go around her? And I think the answer is no. It's okay to not take action at that point, other than prayer. Prayer is the first work. Continuing to connect with her will be important. Uh, following up on some of the options that you offered her will be fine. Um, but that may be all that you can offer at that point. You can offer her other opportunities to come and speak with you. That'd be great. But you can't make them take action. Um, the most you may be able to do is continue to listen, continue to provide uh, information. I would um, take good notes. I would document what I'm hearing. And I would keep those in a safe place. Now, let's say she is in immediate danger. She does want to take advantage of resources. Well, then I would suggest you continue to gather more data. Outline available realistic options. Okay, what do you know is available for victims in your community? Brainstorm along with the victim what you already know. You may not know much, right? But brainstorm what you do know. What are the options? Police. There is an option if you're willing or you're ready to contact local law enforcement. What about a domestic violence agency? Perhaps you have a shelter or an agency in your community that you have a relationship with. Let's call our victim advocate and schedule a meeting with her and see if we can um, find some solutions together. Contacting the courts if the individual is ready. Perhaps they're ready to uh, interact with the courts and get a civil order of protection. Now, if you go that route, your job's not done when the order is issued. In fact, you are still, uh, as a shepherd, responsible for their ongoing safety and sanity. So you're going to want to consider, again, what does a safety plan look like? Another reason to have an advocate on your team. Um, make a referral at this point. You can refer out. I wouldn't say it's a handoff. I would say it's a... Um, uh, and inviting another team member, but you may want to, with their permission, make a referral to a counselor that you know is skilled in this area or has experience in this area. And then as with the other side, right, where she doesn't want to take action, continue to document. If the action is taken, document. What did you do? What did you offer? This will all be helpful so you can rehearse because this is such a complex issue. You want to make sure you have all your resources in front of you so you know what you've offered um, to the individual uh, in, in that time of need. So just to recap, Pastor, a couple things to remember. One, you may or may not be required to report. It's important to know your local laws. For most of us, when it comes to a domestic abuse disclosure, we're not mandated reporters. That doesn't mean that our job is done just because we're not legally required. When a disclosure is made, respect what you're hearing. Ask good questions about who is involved and if anyone's being harmed currently. If the victim doesn't want to take advantage of the resources that you offer, it's okay. Continue to pray and be available. If they do want to take advantage of the resources that you offer, quickly and uh, with her permission and effectively build a team that's going to help you accomplish that. Advocates, counselors, and court personnel uh, consistent with the victim's wishes, right, that are going to help her find safety 
and sanity moving forward. And then continue to shepherd. Just because you've done a, a handoff or you've built a team doesn't mean that your responsibility for her spiritual well-being has somehow ended. You're still responsible. Continue to be engaged. Well, I want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in today, for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. I hope this has been some helpful information about reporting and disclosure. If you're a pastor and you would like to learn more about domestic abuse intervention from a biblical point of view, then I just want to encourage you again to consider joining us September 25th and 26th for PeaceWorks Live. You can find out more at chrismoles.org slash events. We would love to have you and your team there uh, to be a part of our first ever conference. Again, thank you for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast today. And as always, God bless.